Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course, my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Hey friends, welcome to Heal Squad All-Stars, where you get to hear from our top guests. Think of it as a cheat sheet to a better you. All of the best takeaways from the top experts in one show. This Heal Squad All-Stars, we dive deep into the underlying causes of diseases with a specific focus on our emotions and their profound influence on our overall health. Up first is Dr. Zach Bush, a well-regarded physician, triple board certified, by the way, and an educator with expertise in the gut microbiome. Then we have brilliant therapist Nicole Sachs, who peels back the layers of emotional involvement in our physical health. And rounding out the conversation, Dr. Gabor Mate, a globally recognized expert in addiction. He offers unique insights into the intricate relationship between our early life experiences, emotional health, overall well-being, and susceptibility to addictions. Have your notebooks out and get ready to heal, my friends. This edition of Heal Squad All-Stars starts now. And so there's this inherent discomfort that is natural to an unmedicated state and it's in finding out that it's by moving into your pain by moving into your discomfort that you're going to find your path forward mm-hmm. instead of resisting the discomfort and resisting the pain and so i'm getting better at just sitting in the discomfort of being me and uh it's hilarious like it, at some point it's it's kind of like pain itself like pain at some point creates laughter you know maybe maybe your biggest source of pain has been like if you're lucky deep body work or something like that you know, <laughs> you know that deep massage and suddenly you're laughing because it hurts so bad because that therapist has got their hands so deep in your psoas muscle in your belly you can't breathe you're just in so much pain you think you're in blackout and that person's just relentlessly holding that space and you keep tolerating it and you keep in that space because you inherently believe that that person is there for your own therapeutic outcome. If we start to see pain as being that in our life, it is there to create the therapeutic outcome of your realignment with self. 
your realignment with the infinite nature of your soul with a finite expression of a body. Your finite body is connected to something infinite. And that infinite source is always on. It's always true. And it does not carry any trauma. The soul is an energetic expression. That word soul has a lot of religious trappings to it. But when you get past the religious trappings and recognize it as an energy center that organizes intelligence of nature, you you can start to see this under a microscope very easily. For example, a liver cell knows what it is, which is pretty remarkable that this little cell that's, you know, it's, it's a quarter of the width of a human hair. It is so tiny, you know, and yet there's a universe inside of that single cell that gives it a sense of identity and purpose so much so that it knows exactly not only how to be a liver cell, it knows how to be eternally a liver cell. Because as soon as it starts to die or become too injured by a chemical insult that may have happened to it in the last couple of days, it knows how to call in a pluripotent stem cell to come and replace it as a liver cell. And the stem cell, knowing how to make any other cell in the body, here's the call that I need to be a liver cell. And so it makes liver cell. That is so miraculous that self-identity is known at the cellular level. And so let me reassure all of you that you are an energetic intelligence that holds space for biology to express a self-identity. Your self-identity is so unique to you. And it is a fingerprint of an infinite energy that we might call your soul. And so when you invite in the opportunity to feel what it feels like to be alive as you, you're going to feel a lot of discomfort, perhaps initially, perhaps for a lot of years. And the discomfort hasn't diminished for me at all in some ways. But what has happened is that the discomfort is now conjoined with or woven with so much joy. And the experience of being alive now is this, this sense of childlike curiosity about what the day is going to bring. And there's so much joy interwoven, but the joy does not cancel discomfort. Joy and love does not cancel pain. And so we need to understand that life is about holding both of those and not letting go of either one and not trying to dull the experience of the pain with more love or more joy. And that's kind of how we've been trained. Oh, you got pain. You need more happiness. Mm -hmm. Go, go make yourself happy and this other stuff will go away. And so we keep scooping under the rug all of the negative feelings or the hard feelings that we have to deal with. And for that, we get disease. And disease always manifests in the pattern of our emotional past. And so we create long-standing traumas that then express themselves as cancers or autoimmune diseases or the rest by storing these, these vortices of, of pain or trauma, heartbreak within us without ever being so present with them that they feel heard and seen. An emotion just needs to be heard and seen and felt. That's its whole purpose is to be felt. If you're refusing to feel your own spiritual emotional journey, you, 
you're going to have to store that up and process it through some next chapter. I don't know, next life, who knows, but... Th- and th- you're disconnected. Th- you're disconnected from the very thing that's screaming to you. This is you. Why are you refusing to feel you? Why are you f- refusing to be you? And again, it's because of these little subtle beliefs, I think, of how it should be. Yes. I don't want to be me because I'm afraid that would look really disruptive and I I feel like I wouldn't fit in. Yeah. And you're never supposed to be sad. The second you feel sad, someone says like, oh no, don't cry. That's the first thing someone says like, no, no, no. Um, That's what I say to people now. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me cry. I need to let it out. Don't stop it. Um, Because I do believe that everything gets stored. So now knowing that these pent up feelings get stored in the body and manifest as illness, wouldn't that be the path to healing illness? Mm-hmm. It really is an opening. That is the path. And you, you spoke to the limitations of the medical field. And I think, you know, our education is enough to, to lay that out for anybody. You know, in the first semester of medical school, you get taught one course called physiology and you get one course called nutrition. Hmm. And uh, in those, you know, a couple of three-hour credits that you get for nutrition or three-hour credits you get for physiology, that's the end of the journey of understanding uh, a proactive role towards health. And then the rest of the, the four years of medical school are all about understanding the context of humanity within its disease. And for all of the limitations of that, it's much more telling that there's not a single course called emotional detox or emotional realities or, you know, the impact of emotions on physiology. Not a single class. We've, we're not even, we have no training on what the role of disease would look like in the context of an emotionally unprocessed body. And in the same way, we're not given any tools to understand our own emotional journey as physicians or caretakers in this process. And so what a ludicrous system of we're going to train you for four years in disease and then we're going to put you on the front lines of the collapse of the human species. And we're going to ignore that you're going to have a whole lot of emotions on that experience. You're going to feel worthless. You're going to feel hopeless. You're going to feel ill-prepared. You're going to feel completely inadequate to change the course of disease and death because you are inadequate. And it only takes a few years of being a doctor before you realize you aren't changing anything. You Mm -hmm. aren't changing anybody's trajectory with the toolbox you've been given. You might change their blood sugar, but you haven't changed their lifespan. You might change this or that around, but you haven't really affected the way in which life expresses itself within that human being. So there's this deep pain as a provider that starts to develop. And so we have to reach for more and more extreme measures to dull ourselves to the very experience of being a practitioner, a doctor, a nurse, whatever it is in these environments, because we are not trained to even you know, conceive of, let alone deal with an emotional journey for ourselves, let alone the patients that we might interact with, let alone the humanity that we're trying to aid. And so physicians have one of the highest suicide rates in the world, second only perhaps to to farmers. And it's telling that both farmers and physicians are trained with the same toolbox, toolbox of chemical management of biology. Our farmers are trained to go out and kill biology with the herbicides and pesticides that they are equipped with and 
our, our doctors are trained to go out and kill bacteria and cancer cells with the drugs they're given. And so when you are equipped with a chemical arsenal for killing things, your state of, of vitality is going to be rapidly diminished. And your sense of drive for life is going to disappear very quickly and suicide is going to be your only way out. And so that is the dismal reality of our chemical complex today because it's not actually just a medical industrial complex. It is a chemical pharmaceutical medical complex that begins with the food we eat. And so the same chemical companies that develop the pharmacy that is pumped into your veins in a chemotherapy are the same chemical companies that, that own the seeds and the genetically modified herbicide-resistant uh, crops out there in the fields. And so uh, ultimately it's the chemistry of technology, it's the chemistry of killing nature that is driving a loss of sense of vitality within our farmers and physicians around the world. And then the byproduct is ill patients. The byproduct right. is an ill humanity, right? Uh, humanity is failing so quickly now in our self-expression. And I think that's why we see the social landscape that we see today. We've never been more polarized. We've never sought out more violent conflict between one another. Uh, the pandemic really drove this home. We We separated families. We separated mothers from children, we separated spouses, we separated grandparents from their families out of a narrative of fear of the other, uh, afraid of the COVID they might carry or afraid of the vaccines they might have had or had not had, fear of this or that. And we were ready for that narrative. We were ready for the biggest fear-mongering event in human history because we were so desperately hopeless inside. We needed something to justify the way we felt. Oh. And so we used a virus as a justification of the way we feel, which is highly hopeless, which is highly charged and polarized. And we need something external to ourselves to blame the way that we feel. And if we don't wake up quickly, we're going to keep blaming something else. I think we're going to start blaming alien attack or some other existential threat just to justify the way we feel inside. If we realize that the way we feel inside is because we are simply disconnected from our nature and from our real identity, then we don't need to keep blaming the world around us for the human journey. And we can start to come to terms with the fact that it is a human journey. And there is a pain point within each of us that is the entry point into a different future. I really love, instead of pushing against it, embracing discomfort and pain, lean into it and you just might uncover who you really are under there. I love, love, love that. Up next, we have Nicole Sachs. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, 
for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. I was being invited to do something hard, which is what's underneath all that exhaustion. What's underneath all that discontent? Is it just that you're tired? A lot of people stop right there. And I was willing to do anything. And I asked into my truth. And what came to me was the first line of journal speak, which is the language I teach. 
ever penned. And that line was, I hate being a mother. And it flowed out of me like the most painful battery acid on my tongue. I mean, I what? I I said, what? And it said, I hate being a mother. And I just let the pen move on the page. I hate this. It's wrong. It's ruined. I did it wrong. I messed it up. I'm broken. I can't do it anyway. Everything's, I had the wrong babies. My daughter, she has curly blonde hair. She looks like my ex-husband. She cries in my face. These aren't the right babies. This isn't the right life. Everything is ruined. And I, and I just didn't stop. And by I the way, what I just think of you, I'm sorry, Nicole, to interrupt because like, I think of your personality as I'm getting to know you. Weren't you even ashamed to admit that, right? Isn't that the worst thing in the world the, to admit? Be, beyond, first of all, let's, let's, let's dial back. At 19, I was told I would never even have these children, okay? Yeah. I had started fantasizing about being a mother when I was 10. All I wanted to do, my mother and I have this joke that when I was a little girl and she said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I used to say, I want to do nothing like you. <laughs> Which she finds <laughs> oh my God, hilarious. <laughs> oh, my mother used to love that one. But um oh I, I I didn't see myself beyond motherhood. I I I didn't know I was gonna have this big career and be a therapist and do all this. I didn't I thought I was gonna have children and stay home with them because it was all I ever wanted. And not that there's anything wrong with that. And and when we get to the end of the story, you'll realize that my kids are literally everything to me. And there's nothing I love more than being a mother. But in that moment for that scared, broken little girl inside, the one who was repressing all that sadness and rage and grief, I had to tell the truth first. And the truth of that little girl, the inner child, which is I do so much work on this is I hate this. I'm terrified. I'm screwing it up. I'm doing it wrong. I did it all wrong. And, and I just didn't stop writing. And that and then I got another voice. And the voice said, wait, wait, wait. You don't hate your babies and you don't hate being a mother. There's more here. Keep digging, keep digging. Keep and then it moved to my parents. I really went, I really went ham on my parents. I hate you. I hate both of you. Oh, no. You made horrible decisions. You ruined me. You know, I mean, it's journal speak is a language of a five-year-old having a temper tantrum. It is not something that anyone ever needs to hear. And when you're done with your journal speak practice, my first instruction is you throw it away. You rip it into a public garbage can. You delete it from your computer. You don't save it on the cloud. This is not language that anyone else would ever understand. It is to set yourself free. One of my old clients used to say, it's like blowing your nose in a tissue, throw it away. You're getting out the gunk. This is not, you're not writing the great American novel. And so I was writing and writing and it went, the, the rage went to my parents. And then all of a sudden I had this like great compassion for my parents who, my dad was an immigrant. My mother was trying her best. We had terrible money problems. You know, he died young. Like they were, they were doing what they could. And I did come to compassion and not everyone does. And you don't need to, by the way, okay. but it, it, I did. And then well, you know, even even maybe Nicole, if you can't get to compassion, maybe at least empathy. Mm -hmm. you know, how did they get to this place? And wouldn't it be great to get to empathy? But I have worked with enough people over the years that have that have been so wronged, sexual abuse, physical abuse, terrible neglect, that yeah. they can't get to empathy or they compassion. And I say, just know what happened. Then just know what happened. Does it help for them? To, does it help for them to know? Like, let's say if a if that person were abused or that person were, does that help at all? That can build, that can certainly build empathy and compassion. And, 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 and I want to tell people that the spoiler alert to the end of all of this for you, because we're just hearing my story, but for you is that inner peace, 
you will be able to understand everything that happened and feel in alignment with it. And and it's a long journey and it's simple, but it's not easy, but it is absolutely the end. And when you get there, you also have absolutely no chronic pain. So this is, this is the truth. So anyway, I, I know I'm taking forever to get there. No, 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 it's it's okay. Because it's, it's, it's all so helpful. I, I know it's helping me. So please, Nicole, continue. Okay. Thank you. Um, so then the rage moved to the person that really needed to hear it is that I was rageful at myself. Mm-hmm. You weak baby. You can't oh, no. raise these kids. Everybody can raise kids. You stupid idiot. You couldn't figure this out. Your father was right. You've always been a failure. I mean, all of it, but I didn't stop. I didn't get scared. I didn't press up that palm of resistance and what we resist persists. And I didn't resist it. And I let it come and I let it come. And I finished that sit down exercise. And I don't know how long it took with tearful compassion for myself. Just a soft, sweet baby, just trying the best I could, just doing the best with what I was given. And I just felt this process beginning for myself. And I woke up the next morning and my back pain was 80% gone, never to return. Within the next couple months, I worked with Dr. Sarno on the brain conditioning that was causing the last 20%. And within a few months, I had never had back pain again, not for one day. I had a third child, exercised till the day she was born. I'm almost 49 years old. I'm in incredible shape. There is nothing about me that is affected by this normal abnormality in my back. And it is because of my understanding of this mind-body connection. And I cannot speak more passionately about the importance for every person suffering to know that this is what's happening in you. So you, so you get, you get to the place where you then blame yourself. Then you of course, um, forgive yourself because you realize you're just a child trying your best. Um, you throw away the journal right away. Just to right to, away, right away. Okay, good. Destroy it immediately upon finishing. Burn, burn upon reading. <laughs> burn upon reading. Great. And then, um, and you immediately start noticing relief. Now, is this a practice that you have to go keep going back to? Yes. Okay. So, what I like to say when I tell my story, my story is a very you know kind of hyperbolic you know exciting story, but this is just human life. We all need to mind our mind-body connection the way we mind our physical health. You know, what I say about your mind-body connection, it's kind of like if you wanted six-pack abs and somebody said, yeah, okay, this is how you get it. You go to the gym and you do these exercises. And if you care about having six-pack abs, there's a recipe. And if you do the work, you'll get them. You can't go and watch people at the gym. You can't imagine the gym. You can't decide. You could, but you're not going to get the abs. And so what I'm saying is this work, if you want this mind-body health, if you want to get rid of this chronic condition that you're suffering from or get more energy or find more joy for life or have better relationships or get pregnant or or, or have preventative stuff, like it, I, I do believe this work significantly um, prevents cancer and other things that afflict us. It's not a cure for cancer. But it's, I work with cancer patients all the time, specifically actually in the past breast cancer, because I know you mentioned that. And, um, and I have worked with people that have had incredible recoveries. Now, I can't say whether or not this work was a factor or not. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a mind reader and I'm not a doctor, but I will tell you, I've watched it. I've watched it help people go through chemotherapy without losing their hair. I mean, there's just incredible things I've seen from this work when you understand the dance between the mind and the body. So I, this wasn't the last time I journaled. 
because I had a long road of like, I started getting migraines at one point at the time I was speaking on the Sarno panel at NYU. Cause I worked with him for years speaking on his um, panels um, at the, at the college. And um, I was sitting on stage once and I was, was, had been getting these terrible migraines and somebody was asking me a question and I just stopped myself in my tracks. And I remember I had the mic in my hand. I go, I just realized I don't need to get these headaches anymore. It was a real journey of discovery for me. Like I had to understand it wasn't just about back pain. I had to understand that it was a, a sort of like your body is like a pinball machine. And if this repressed emotional world is is at the point where it's going to keep spilling over, it's going to be like a bing, bing, you know, headache and then shoulder pain and then back pain and then a stomach thing. But when you do the work, when you understand the belief, which is what I'm explaining and, and I have so many resources because sometimes you have to sit in the belief. Sometimes you have to marinate in the belief. You know, I have a podcast and, and people often say they just walk every day and listen to an episode of the podcast and little by slowly the belief kind of comes into them and they know they can do this for themselves. The journal speak practice, I assign people a 30 minute a day practice when they're at the beginning. You certainly don't need to do it every day for the rest of your life, but I assign it at the beginning because you really need to get your nervous system from sustained fight or flight to sustained rest and repair. And that is something that takes um, consistency, just like the six pack abs. You got to show up and you have to do the work. And the process is just a 20 minute journal speak practice followed by a 10 minute meditation any loving kindness meditation to sit with the compassion and some people don't come to it naturally. So just to feel patience and kindness for yourself and to know I'm doing my best. I'm a human being. I have frailties and flaws just like anyone else. And I'm doing this work to save my own life. And so that 30 minutes a day is an absolute game changer. And I've been watching it change people's lives for 20 years. And and this, this, you know, is every day for, the rest of your life or is uh is there like a a point where you can i what i would say is any kind of spiritual work anything that you guys are teaching on better together it's to it's to get a toolkit right so you mm-hmm. get a toolkit and you find this and you find that and you find this and there you have your toolkit journal speak is a tool in your toolkit just like a lot of things when you get yourself out of chronic pain which happens for some people very quickly and for some people slowly. It re- it's really depends on how much trauma you've had, what your personality is like, how much you carry perfectionism and goodism and needing to do to be uh, a, be seen as a good person, how codependent you are. Mm-hmm. There's so many different factors, but no matter, even if you scored 10 on all the things I just said, there's still hope for you as long as you are willing to do the work with belief and patience and kindness for yourself. Then it just becomes a tool in your toolkit, like today. In my life, I'm like I said, I'm almost 49. I'm a parent of three. I'm doing all this crazy work around the world. There will be days where I wake up and like um, I'll get like I call it the wing. It's like you know when your scapula hurts, yeah. <laughs> okay, and it's like annoying. You can't move your neck, and I'll go. Oh, all right. I obviously have a lot going on. It's a journal speak day, and I get down to it. And I have a lot of different practices and prompts and stuff that I teach. So I just listen to my own work. I'm a product of my product and I do my work. And maybe sometimes it takes me a few days. Um, I had a really interesting thing happen to me about a year or two ago where I got something called burning mouth syndrome, something that I had never heard of. And now it's almost like when you, when you're pregnant, all you do is see pregnant women. Now everyone has burning mouth. I hear about it all the time, but um, I got this burning mouth syndrome and I'm a human being like anyone else. So what did I do? I ran to the doctor. And I said, um, I'm dying. My whole mouth feels like it's on fire. What's wrong with me? And she said, well, let's get blood work. Fine. I, I believe in medicine when you need it. And she said, okay, all your blood work is normal. 
Um, you know, she said, some people who have this, try this mouthwash and I'm listening to her and she goes, you know, what's really crazy. I have this other patient who has terrible burning mouth syndrome. She's been everywhere. She's been to Hopkins. She flew up to the Mayo clinic. She's done all these things. And you know what they keep telling her? And I said, what? She said, they keep telling her it's psychological. And I go, oh, all right. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Did, did the journal speak? And you know what came out? What? I'm not being heard. I'm desperate to share this message and all I want to do is shout it from the rooftops and no one's listening. And I think part of that was right around when Dr. Sarno died because he died a couple summers ago at the age of 94. And I felt like now it's like all on me. Not that I'm the only one in the world who's doing this work, but it felt like a tremendous pressure that all these people are suffering and I need to get the, and as soon as I got that, the burning mouth went away and never came back. This is real guys. Like I know this, even when I say it, I know it sounds crazy. This is physical brain science. I'm really moved by Nicole's emphasis on self-compassion and consistency as crucial cornerstones in our path to healing. Really, really amazing. Dr. Gabor Mate also leaves us with some food for thought, emphasizing the importance of healthy anger expression. Yes, it's allowed. He alerts us to the potential health hazards of suppressed anger highlighting how critical it is to understand and manage our emotions for our optimal health. Really enlightening, friends. Enjoy. Here's the deal. This is the big secret that scientifically is not even controversial, but the average physician never hears it in medical school, which is astonishing. The mind and body are not separable. So the hormonal apparatus, you mentioned Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disease, the hormonal organs, uh, the hormonal apparatus, the immune system, the nervous system, and the emotional system are not separate. It's all one. Isn't they're not even connected? Because even to say that they're connected is to imply that separate entities are connected. They're one. So our immune system, so so anger, let's look at healthy anger. Healthy anger simply says, you're in my space, get out. Don't do that to me. Don't invade my space physically or emotionally. That's what healthy anger is. You see it in the natural world all the time. It's a boundary defense. But we don't learn to have boundaries. I'm just yeah. learning that at 44 exactly. <laughs> in therapy. <laughs> the boundary defense. Now, what is the immune system? It's a boundary defense. It lets in what's healthy and nurturing, vitamins and nutrients and healthy bacteria. And it keeps out toxins and unhealthy bacteria, so on. The immune system and emotional system have the same job. And there are no one system. So when something happens emotionally, it also affects the immune system. So when people suppress their emotions, they're also messing with their immune system. And that's why people develop autoimmune disease or... Um, other problems, not blaming anybody for this because nobody does deliberately or consciously. This is what happens in childhood when we're able to suppress ourselves. And so like like I said about your mom, once I know that she has certain medical conditions, I can Peter will tell you their personalities. Yeah. And, and and again, it's not their fault. It's how they were conditioned in childhood. So when you say you have to learn your boundaries, let me let me ask you a question. I mean, this is so obvious. Do you think as a one-day-old baby, you didn't know your boundaries? Do you think what? As a one-day-old baby, did you think you you don't you think you didn't know your boundaries? <laughs> of course not. 
Yes, you did. I did? Yeah, somebody tried to feed you something you didn't want, you'd go... Um, good point. Yeah, you're right, actually. Well, of you course know? you're right. <laughs> and and then a one and a half year old kid is, what are they saying all the time? What's the, the big truth. word? They say no. Mm-hmm. They know how to say no. It's the first word they say, which is a boundary defense. No. So it's in our nature to have boundaries. Anyway, every animal has them. And something happens, so we have to suppress it. And so that's why in midlife or later on, then we have to find out or figure out our boundaries in theory, in therapy, because we had to suppress them in childhood. How and do you was- know, though, how to let that that anger out healthily? Because, you know, I know that in December, I was really hurt by somebody in my life. And I've been meditating this last year and really trying to, you know, um, focus on my healing and all that. And I've been in such a good place, right? Mm -hmm. So this person hurts me so badly, completely shocks me out of nowhere, breaks my heart. And my first reaction was shock. And then I said, well, this is their loss because I know what kind of friend I am. I know what kind of person I am. It's their loss. It didn't mean it didn't hurt me and it didn't keep coming in my thoughts, but I I released and then soon after was like, okay, I forgive that person. I know they're not healthy mentally and that this is probably just them taking it out on me. So now maybe I'm rationalizing. I don't know. And I know that a lot of people are probably going through things like this. I'm going to explain it in these details, but, and then maybe I suppressed it, maybe, um, but but I also thought that the Zen thing to do is not to think about it and or try not to think about it. What is the way to handle something like that? Are you supposed to yell and scream and and fight, or are you just supposed to, you know, I don't know. Well, so first of all, I don't know that I agree with you about the Zen thing, you know, because the Buddha, when you when you look at the Buddha's teachings, he didn't say don't be angry. He said, when you're angry, be aware of it. So he said that, he was talking to his monks, the bhikkhus, the monks, he says, or the bikinis, the, uh, the, the, you know, the female monks. And he'd say, when the bhikkhu is angry, he says, there's anger in me. When the, when the monk experiences joy, he says, there's joy in me. So he never said suppress anger. So first of all, is awareness. Now, much of the expressions of anger, they don't come with awareness. They're automatic. They're reactions. It's like you put, like, you know, I used to be a rageaholic. Really, I did. You know, and that hurt my kids. And and um, I, I don't mean I physically hurt them, but they witnessed my rages, you know. And it wasn't, that wasn't healthy anger. That was me being triggered somehow. And then the anger just burst out of me like out of a volcano. But if I if but if I'm aware that there's anger in me, then if somebody does something that's hurtful, I can say, This makes me angry, I will not put up with it. That's all. You know? So it's no big display, it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, it's just appropriate to the situation. But it's no, you will not do that to me. You will not speak to me that way. Whatever it is. So healthy anger is very simple, and it's in the moment. And once it's over, it's over. Like if I intrude on your space somehow, 
And you say, no, you will not do that. And once I've backed off, you don't have to keep being angry with me. Mm -hmm. You know, you may not want to see me again, or you may choose to see me again. That's totally up to you. But the anger doesn't have to keep percolating inside you. That's the difference between healthy and unhealthy anger, is that healthy anger is a boundary defense in the moment when it's expressed, done its job, it's over. Is that clear? Yeah, it is. No, I said that emotionally. Emotionally, I would say that. I said it to my husband. I was like, no, this was really wrong. And I'm I'm not letting this person talk to me like that. I'm not saying anything to them because that is my answer. My silence is my answer at this point. Fair but, enough. But, but I know it's it's really hard to know how to properly express it. But I think that really helps. It's at least acknowledging it and... Um, and kind of setting that boundary, maybe out loud. Um, you said something interesting. So, so do you think? And I mean, this is what I feel. Um, the anger is what manifests. The repressed anger is what manifests illness. Oh yeah, there's lots of studies on <clears throat> that. People who repress anger are more likely to get autoimmune disease. Like I said, like <clears throat> what happens to anger that you repress? Does it ev- does it evaporate into the atmosphere? Hmm. It doesn't. It turns against you in a number of ways. That the anger that you don't, the healthy anger that a child can't express, turns into self-loathing. It turns against the self. Another thing that happens to healthy anger, which is if it's not expressed, we push it down. What's another word for pushing something down? Depressing it. What do you think? Ooh. What do you think depressed? What do you think depression is all about? It's all about the pushing down of healthy anger and emotions. Why does the child do that? Because it wasn't acceptable for them to experience their emotions. So to be acceptable to the environment, they pushed on their feelings. They depressed their feelings. Then they diagnosed twenty years later with depression. Or also, if you're pushing it down, to me, you're pushing it down into your gut. Exactly. That's what that felt like to me, just, you know, intuitively, just now you're pushing it into your gut. And then that's where all kind of disease starts. Well, actually, if, if you look at um, conditions of the gut, like um, irritable bowel syndrome that a lot of women get, there's a significant percentage of women with IBS, for example, who were sexually abused as children. Mm. But they had to repress their emotions. And literally, they pushed it into their guts. And... Um, uh, inflammatory conditions of the guts like colitis and Crohn's disease again it's characterized characteristically happens to people who suppress their emotions which also means that if they learn to experience their emotions and to express them in a healthy way their diseases can lighten up quite a bit and I've seen that over and over and over again mm-hmm. so it's not that there isn't a biological process going on but the point is that the biology is inseparable from the psychology. And so that <clears throat> just as our physiology can affect our psychology, so can our psychology affect our physiology. So that if somebody comes in with autoimmune disease to see me when I was still working as a physician, of course, I would give them the medical treatment that they needed. But I would also initiate a discussion saying, well, what's going on in your emotional life and what's your history? And are you willing to talk about it? And the people that are, they find they get, often they get better. 
This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.